announcement. The hemp revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. You can hear the stories of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating the business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game forever. Introducing your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. everybody, welcome to another episode of The Hemp Revolution. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez, and in today's episode, we are going to be diving into the story of Steve Sakala, who is the co-founder and CEO of Mana Artisan Botanics, located in Hawaii, the beautiful, beautiful islands over there. He is also the founder and owner of the Oh, now, now, farm. Oh, now, now, farm. Steve has been been a leader in the medical cannabis and sustainability movement for over two decades in the last seven years with a hyper focus on the CBD-rich cannabinoids, hemp strains, and also offering a diverse and very potent health benefits through the cultivation of these plants. Now, many, many of the entrepreneurs who are coming into this space right now have some sort of transformational story or reason behind their journey starting with this plant. Mine started as a patient. As many of Mm. you have heard my story, being in a near near fatal surfing accident and suffering through many, many trials and tribulations with both the legal and medical system for my rights to safe access. My life has been completely transformed through this plant. And I firmly believe that it's because of farmers and business owners like Steve that I was able to gain access to the products and people and professionals with seasoned results in this space that I'm able to live and thrive the way that I am today, a healthy advocate for this plant and for the incredible movement and industry that is blooming around it. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, Sonia. Thanks for the invitation. Really good to be here with you. Yeah, wonderful to have you. Cannot wait to hear all about the budding industry over there in Hawaii. I want to hear straight from you a little bit about your background, how you got involved into this movement. It sounds like you are a veteran. So share a little bit with us about your background. Sure. Well, I was fortunate enough to really become an activist for hemp and medical cannabis at a very early age. I was turned on to Jack Herrera's book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, of course, a legend, in high school. And it opened my eyes. I started seeing the dead shortly after graduating and really had a conscious awakening, let's say, around the possibilities of what this plant could do really from an environmental perspective was my excitement. I was becoming a radical environmentalist, seeing the changes happening right before my eyes. And so in 1992, I got in touch with Jack and said I wanted to help on the initiative that he was running on the ballot. And it was the first hemp and medical marijuana initiative that really had some traction. And we weren't successful that year. I worked with him again in 94, and then we were eventually successful, as you probably know, in 96. So, you know, my really kind of initiation into politics and policy was with Jack Herrera working on those initiatives. And it really galvanized me to that so many 
benefits that if we could really just get this plant back in its place of in agriculture, right farming practices, and certainly in a medical setting with this botanical medicine, that we were going to change, change the way the health system works, diet, just it affected almost everything through the fabric of our society. And I was excited to really try and be a part of that. Well, I have to just say that that legislation that passed in California in 96, Prop 215, was foundational in the way that I was able to approach my own health care and the way that my husband ended up building his business and his mm-hmm. affiliation with cannabis. My mom still owns property in Mendocino County, right in the Upper Lake area, right oh, where, nice. right in uh, Jack's backyard. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of the work that was done was so necessary and could not have come at a better time. My husband was built his way up and at, from ground level, working on a lot of the farms that and collectives that were serving the dispensaries throughout yeah. California. Helped many, many people make their entry way into the cannabis and hemp space. And quite honestly, my life would have not been the same had I not had cannabis. I mean, at the peak of my illness, I was 100 pounds overweight. I was on seven different medications, missing three out of five days of school as a teenager, just trying to get my life together. And after somebody who was educated on the manner actually helped me get in contact with a professional who could who would introduce me to my endocannabinoid system and teach me about strain selection and microdosing and all of these really cool things that literally changed my whole life inside of nine months. I was off my medications, off anti-inflammatories, following a, what we call self-conscious care. Right. And lost a hundred pounds in nine months. I mean, all of these things because of cannabis consciousness. And I get to interface with many, many patients now who are benefiting from the same types of transformations. And it's because of pioneers like yourself. I was too young at the time to be able to participate on that Mm -hmm. level, but later on went to work with Colorado on legislative development. And that is no easy feat. That is a significant amount of work. I want to hear from the ground floor because I've never had to have this converse or got to have this conversation before. You guys were the first to do it. Talk to me about the journey of legislative development and legalization. What did the sleepless nights look like? And what was the process like of bringing that first legalization process to fruition? Well, you know, it was exciting times. It was an uphill battle because, of course, we were collecting signatures. We were really working with people power. It was the referendum process. It was how do we get past the inaction of our legislators and the political system. Mm -hmm. And luckily, California had a pretty good referendum process. And we got on the referendum on the ballot those in 92 and 94, but of course it didn't pass. It wasn't until 96 that we collected enough signatures again that we finally got the passage from the voter. So, you know, luckily we got the workaround around legislation and the legislators who were not willing to really stand up against the pharmaceutical industry and all the other, you know, military industrial complex, the the petrochemical, you know, companies, all of these companies we know conspired to really keep hemp and cannabis from us. And so we had to really work with the people via people power to get this initially passed. And that was the exciting part is we were taking back the power via really a a democracy. Well, no small feat by any stretch of the imagination pre-internet, really. I mean, you guys were on. (laughs) You guys were standing in front of the supermarkets. I mean, it's literally standing 
in front of Safeways, going to events, of course, throwing events to gather signatures. But um, I remember. it was a lot of footwork. A ton of work done all yeah. throughout Northern California. I mean, I was in Northern California at the time. So Hopland, which is a huge yep. hub now for hemp renewable sustainability. Energy yeah, yeah sure. Renewable Energy Center all throughout Upper Lake, all the way up into Garberville, Redway. You know, we saw a ton of your guys' stuff at the... It's now Reggae Rising, but it used to be Reggae on the River. (laughs) So (laughs) I remember this so clearly because it was such a big deal. Many of my family members are pioneers in this space, whether they were doing, you know, cultivation or providing the collectives, I call them the Stragononas, Uh you know, that were up there making the medicine from, from the very start. The ones who truly pioneered this space, but are not getting a lot of the recognition or credit from it now. As a matter of fact, a lot of those same people are going out of business. Yeah. It's a really unfortunate component of the of the legalization. Man, yeah. it's heartbreaking yeah, to see. Really. I'm I'm watching, you know, cannabis cup winning strain developers and you know, people, seed banks and all of these incredible geneticists and they're all going out of business right now because they have shitty partnerships and yeah. any, anything that you can think of is going wrong. I am pretty vocal about how I believe California fucked up the whole opportunity around the for-profit model. Colorado repaired that. Oregon, Washington went on to repair a lot of what Colorado messed up. So the ripple effect of that is all positive. But I've never understood, and perhaps I just haven't done my own research well enough, but how is it that California ended up in a nonprofit versus for-profit model back in 96? You know, that's a really good question. Because of my youth, I actually became a medical grower right out of the gates after 96. But I actually left in 99 and went and did international work for four to five years. So, you know, I was really called to do sustainable work in agriculture outside of the country to really get a different perspective of what, you know, we grow up in, what we have access to our our conveniences of the Western world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I opted out and lived in a village in West Africa for four years. No electricity, no water, fetched all my own water uh, daily and really wanted to have a different experience, a subsistence agriculture and village. Oh my God, that's so amazing. So I kind of took a sabbatical after being involved with (laughs) with cannabis legislation Uh myself. I was like, dude, I gotta go. Like I couldn't, it's it's very overwhelming. It's intense work. Yeah, it's very, very intense work. It's no joke when they say the pioneers are the ones that get the arrows and recovering from that is major. Tell me more about your work that you did abroad and what brought you back. Sure. Well, so I graduated Humboldt State in 99, and literally a month later, I was off to the Peace Corps. And so it was really my desire to not only experience a different culture, but really experience what it was like to live in a subsistence culture and as far away from Western technology as possible. And mm-hmm. It was incredible. I mean, it was life-changing, of course. I have to be so grateful for the, the people of the village I got to live in, the people of Gambia, the country I got to live in. You know, just so many positive experiences along the way that the different paths that people walk on the planet, we were blessed and privileged to have this amount of resources in our country. And not everybody has that same access, but there's benefits to not having that access too. They're outside all the time. They're interacting with nature. You know, they have a connection to the planet that we seem to be missing in the Western culture. And so that was the benefit of spending four years on that level. 
and I wasn't ready to come back, to be honest. I was looking for work. I extended my stay and my service with the Peace Corps an extra year and a half and was looking for work to stay because really I was um, really resonating with the lifestyle there and the people and the heart space that they come from. There's a lot less barriers and communication and sharing, and that resonated with me. But I decided to come back because I was going to get a grad degree to continue doing international sustainable development. Mm. And when I got back, it hit me in the face. It was, we are three to 5% of the population in our country. And yet we consume almost 30% of the world's resources. Where is the work to be done in sustainable development? It's in our country. It's educating our fellow family members, our friends, the society of, of our Western culture that's where the work is to really make things, so to speak, equitable or more equitable. Mm-hmm. So I stuck around to do uh, my work in sustainable development here in the States. But then I started twitching a little bit and decided, let me go with the middle ground. So uh, I ended up in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a beautiful place to end up and a lot of important work going there. I mean, we were looking at aquaponic farms out there and in doing a lot of the research. My mom owns 18 acres out in Mendocino County, up in Upper Lake, actually, more specifically. Mm-hmm. And right on the backside of the reservation, right at the foot of the National Forest there. And my husband, they partnered on the land there, and he grew acres of different kinds of lavender and all mm-hmm. these aromatic herbs and just used to his ex-wife, who's an incredible herbalist, they used to create everything right there from the land and still those farms are thriving and beautiful and we wanted to bring more sustainable infrastructure in to feed the communities and and give the native people opportunity to teach the next generation about sustainable practices and get them back in touch with the things that were so natural to their culture. I grew up fully immersed in Native American Indian culture. Lucky you, yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful in their ceremonies and their traditions and all, you know, sweat lodges and teepees POD ceremonies that was the threads of my fabric and so plant medicines have never been foreign to me right but it's interesting to me to see the lack of spirit in the way that people approach this industry especially as it's maturing we're still in its infancy now but you know it's kind of the sperm and the egg thing like we've just been fertilized everyone's kind of magnetized to it now and there's very little soul in the industry talk to me about the work that you are currently doing and what you're protecting right now yeah thanks for asking really my passion and the reason why i actually ended up starting mono artists and botanics and my previous cbd company high cbd organics was because i was looking to create a platform in the cannabis industry to talk about sustainable regenerative agriculture mm-hmm. for the main reason that you just spoke about and, and seeing the, the trend in legalization going to commercial grows, chemical agriculture, pesticides and fungicides. I mean, having been in the industry for over 20 years, we know that there's too many chemicals going on to the plants that people are using as medicine. Yeah. And they're not being grown in the right way. I mean, certainly pesticide free or spray free, like you can get in the dispensaries is a baby step. But really, unless it's a sustainable, regenerative agriculture system, you're not getting the high-quality, spirit-based medicine that it, it has the potential to be. And, and not only that, but we have to start working on changing our systems if we're going to protect the ecosystems. We're seeing mass ecosystem collapse, and agriculture is one of the main contributors. And so, you know, being that cannabis has this spirit to it and that it has this medicinal component, 
it seems like this is a great opportunity to have the agriculture conversation that really we should have been having around food a long time ago, but we're at this point now that it's a conversation we can't, we can't ignore any longer. And cannabis is a great foot in the door to that conversation, considering most people, even if they're using it recreationally, in my opinion, it's probably a medicinal application of some sort. And so if we really want to use the highest quality medicine we can get, then it should be sustainable, regenerative growing, organic at the minimum. And so that's the platform we were hoping to create with our products. It's certainly what I've been lobbying for at the legislature over on Oahu. You know, I was very involved in dispensary legislation when it was happening. I've been involved in the hemp legislation from day one here in Hawaii. And that's, you know, we're kind of, you know, pounding down the door and, you know, it's, it's a conversation that we will continue to have, but it's baby steps. And that's really one of the unfortunate things about legalization. I, I'm saddened by the direction it's gone. I was just at an investor presentation over in Oahu, and they were talking about the billions, if not trillions of dollars waiting to enter the cannabis industry, talking about the alcohol companies, the tobacco companies. And I said, guys, these aren't the good stewards of our society and our capitalist system. Why are we excited about that kind of money coming into cannabis? We should be talking about how to create craft industries, supporting local farmers, small scale farms, chemical free agriculture, regenerative systems. That's the conversation. And you know, I was the minority by far. And that was disheartening. But I think that we have to continue to have these conversations if things are going to change. And these are the moments to be doing it when we're still in our infancy. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. And there's a lot that I that I teach and preach. And I have a very similar story with you that I'm not sure how much you know about us. I just sort of sent out this random yeah. invitation because I've been stalking everybody online. <laughs> um, but nobody really, I'm, I'm not one of those people who are, I'm not a self-promoter. I'm not the person out yeah. there to be like, hey, look at me, look at me. So I'll just share a little bit about who we are and what we do and, yeah. and make the connection and why is this such an important relationship that we're building. So my husband and I have about 35 years combined experience starting from, you know, my accident in sporting and his entry in 95 into the cannabis space while he was studying at Hartwood with Chayla Berger and Paul Pitchford and all the old school guys, all the old school guys. You probably know my, my family, Joey Berger, who owned Trimstein Solutions up in Garberville. And so our whole network up there started with some of the mainstay grassrootsers who brought the seeds over in their backpacks on their way in, you know, and fast forward many years and many successes, many failures as the journey of entrepreneurialism happens, you know, especially in the cannabis space. And we found ourselves with an opportunity to come to Colorado to support legislative development, owning and operating one of the first hundred licensed dispensaries, but recognizing in our path of serving tens of thousands of patients, the high level professionals and city officials, all the way down to, you know, the veterans who needed donations to even have access to their medicine. And the the major, major gap that separated everybody was the education and just understanding fundamental differences between hemp and cannabis or strain selection or, you know, whatever it was that was keeping them from getting the desired results. We recognize that gap. So we stepped out because of the paired with the education gap and the challenges of running a legitimate business. There was not enough space for the 
the change makers, the true change makers that weren't, you know, didn't have VC money or some sort of incredible exit strategy that they were building towards. We were truly in service to the communities that we were part of. And so we decided to sell and step out and we got into digital marketing. We'll fast forward through the peaks and valleys of success in digital marketing when we could hardly send an email. Right. (laughs) We could hardly send an email coming out of the hills and trying to do affiliate marketing online. We thank God did well, but not well enough. And one one day we sat down with one of our mentors and he said, why are you guys trying to do bullshit affiliate marketing online? You have specialized knowledge in one of the most interesting, fastest growing industries in the world. This was three years ago. Yeah. Why don't you just start publishing content? You seem to be passionate about it. You love it. You have purpose around it. We were like, okay, so as a hobby, we started Legalize It, Don't Criticize It, which today, just two and a half years later, has turned into an organic following of over 1 million people, 350,000 subscribers. We've impacted over 50 million people's lives around the world. We've published 2,200 articles. And because we have this captured consumer audience, we've been attracting a lot of the business owners who need and want support getting access because we can't market, you can't advertise, you need merchant product, all of these different things. And this is how this started. So I didn't want to just promote anybody. I was very, very conscious about the types of products and purpose and passion that the entrepreneurs on our show or in our network would be able to access our consumers because we have a very heart-centered very balanced focus on self-aware care. How, how are we consciously caring for ourselves? How do we recognize the ripple effect that we are making in our communities and our families? How are we preparing the next generation for what's to come? And so conscious entrepreneurs get an opportunity to share their stories and their products and services on our pages. And that's how we found you. We go out and we stalk you guys and we're like- Thank you for finding us. Yeah, you're welcome. And here's a platform that will speak about and showcase the important things that are a part of this industry. Fuck the billions of dollars that's gonna happen in beer and boot, you know, beers and bongs. Like you wanna be associated with that, go into another space, but there's a real opportunity here to create a revolution, to cause disruption, to change the way that the next generation is going to think about things, execute, you know, all of this different stuff. So my question is, and and you're the perfect person to answer this, with all of the standard that we're holding ourselves and each other to in the hemp space right now, it has to be organic, it has to be this, Tinkerbell itself has to pluck it from the vine of a virgin Uh, goat. Like there's all of these different things that says mine is better than yours, but we don't have that same conversation or standard around food. We're willing to just eat Agent Orange off of a non-organic farm in the middle of, you know, and, and it's absolutely crazy to me. Why do you believe there is such a massive gap still to this day with all of the science and everything? Why is there such an incredible gap between our standard for food, which is the necessity for life and cannabis and hemp production, which is a bonus feature of self-aware care? Gosh, you're hitting some of the big questions here. I mean, really, it's because we are systematically deceived, really, or distracted. I mean, think about the the amount of distraction we have 
in our society. It's not just the food that we're distracted, the, the issues around food. It's, it's really health of all things, you know? It's so many different ways and pathways towards consciousness we are distracted from. And unfortunately, food is one of those things. The almighty dollar is more important than healthy food. And we have chosen unsustainable agriculture practices to really produce our food systems, which are degrading not just the food, but they have made you know, entire ecosystems. I mean, look at the Great Plains and all how we've lost so many feet of topsoil into the Mississippi River and into the Delta and you know, the Gulf of Mexico. It's completely changed the whole fabric of those ecosystems to not be recovered anywhere in the next couple generations. So I'm not so sure there's the level of consciousness in cannabis that you're speaking of, to be honest. I think that there's a segment in the cannabis industry talking about organic and all these things. But if you look at the majority of the cannabis in the market, it's not organic. And I would say the majority of hemp is not organic. So No, it's a lot of falsified claims and people yeah. who have glory standards. They want it. They, but I, and I know this only because I'm interviewing. So I sent out 200 email invitations to come onto the show. Yeah. 154 responses, all ego-driven. Many of the responses I received were like, of course, I want to be, fe- oh, little old me, I want to be featured in front of a million uh-huh. people. But uh-huh. there were very few, and you and I are a part of the, I would say, 3% of the industry who are, in fact, fully immersed in the full purposeful, you know, pursuit mm. for legalization and availability of this plant, not only for the end product, but for everything else that yeah. comes from this plant's cultivation and, and nurture, right? Yeah. The, how we nurture this right. industry from this point forth. Yeah. It's not about the end result. But I hear a lot of things like this. I have the best full spectrum isolate on the market. And I'm like, hmm. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I think yeah. there's a ton of miseducation. There's a lot of miseducation. Mis- and God bless them. Everybody's trying to be a part Everybody of it. Everybody is trying. And yeah. that's fine. But at the same time, the lack of education, the disconnect yeah. between the real mission of legalization for hemp and cannabis, yes. which you were a part of. I was like seven years old when you were doing right. this stuff, right? <laughs> hey, no, I'm not in- <laughs> No, you're glorious. But I, I got to watch it from a child's eyes yeah. and a child's eyes are like this, right? Where yeah. a- adults, we tend to be a little more calloused, right? Right. But I was watching you guys, the way that people spoke about you and what Jack was doing the whole group of incredible people who came around Prop 215, that was such a magical time. And it set the foundation for the rest of the world, really, yeah. to explore what else was possible. So tell me about your work today. What are you doing today that is setting the standard, pushing the envelope, and providing for your community and family? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm a pretty much a full-time farmer, diversified agriculture farmer. So The cannabis on my farm is only really like a 20, maybe a 30 by 30 space, but I have seven and a half acres. So my focus is food production and it's sharing with community. It's sharing and education with the guests that come through our farm. You know, we have rainwater catchment. We're completely off the grid when it comes to water. We have solar, we compost, you know, all the systems that we would hope to inspire people to take back no matter where they live, whether it's an apartment, a house, a small scale farm, they can take some of these components with them and and increase their sustainability no matter where they are on the planet. So, you know, we spend a lot of time doing education, growing food. I've got sheep, goats, chickens, ducks, 
over a hundred different types of fruits and medicinal plants on my farm. Wow. Um, so it's really about trying to model the diversity and the agroecology systems that I hope to see. And that, you know, that really science is showing is the solution of our, of our way forward when it comes to food production. It's going to come back to small scale farms and regenerative practices if we're really going to have a chance as a human species. And science is showing that. And so we're really modeling that. And of course, then cannabis is a component of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that the, that the food in the food industry, the organics component is the fastest growing segment of the, of the industrial food industry at the moment. Mm-hmm. So people are waking up to the idea that our food has to be done differently. We have to be reading the ingredients. We have to cut out the refined sugars. We have to do these things to be healthy. I mean, the health epidemics are unignorable any longer. And so, you know, agriculture is a piece of that. Where we shop for our food, if you're not growing food, know your farmer, support a farmer directly, mm-hmm. you know, know where your food comes from. Take those steps to empower yourself, but then also empower that farmer. And I think cannabis is the same way. And again, that's part of the reason why we started our CBD hemp company is, first of all, we were blocked out of the dispensary side here in Hawaii. They really made it for the big boys, which was a disappointment. And that's part of why we went to hemp. But in reality, it was a really good move because it gives us a much wider platform than just being able to work within our island or our state. And so this national platform with hemp is is really a blessing. And we wanted to not just model a CBD product like everybody else was doing, but how do we make this a farm to bottle product? So not just where does the hemp come from, but where do the base oils come from? So we sourced a local organic macadamia nut oil from our neighbors. They're the only organic macadamia nut processors in the entire state. So, you know, we're using a really high-end oil. It makes our products more expensive because the oil is incredibly expensive oil. But we said, we want to support our fellow farmers. How do we do that? Not just with hemp, with every ingredient. So we source our turmeric locally that we infuse to the oils, our passion bind, comfrey, plantain, Everything that goes into our balms all comes from farmers we know. And as many as ingredients as we can, we have gone directly to farmers to support regenerative agriculture, local-based economy. And we know those dollars have, you know, the ripple effect, those local dollars spent. And we get to support farmers that are doing the right thing, both for their health and the health of the planet. So um, it's really been a journey. It's been an uphill battle because people, again, aren't necessarily making conscious choices they're looking at the lowest cost per milligram they can get, whether it's an isolate or not. And we're really proponents of full spectrum oil with the terpenes and the minor cannabinoids and have committed to being an isolate free company. And that means that we have an uphill battle against kind of the companies that are taking a really different approach, let's say. And you're so politically correct. Well, you know, I try not to make anybody wrong because, you know, I don't know their reasons, but there's so much cheap stuff out there. And if people are using this medicinally, it takes, it takes an effort to be an educated consumer. Again, so many distractions in our society. Mm-hmm. And to spend the time to find out how isolates are made with mostly industrial chemical solvents. Is that really what you want in your medicine? Is it in fact a medicine by the time that you infuse and then disinfuse all of the... It's, it's a good question. It's a really, I, I don't see that it as the highest quality potential for the cannabis products. And I think that it's unfortunate it's gone that direction. I can see why it did, but I think it's unfortunate. 
And I think we just have to continue to educate the end consumers that if they're really looking for something that's going to benefit their health in a holistic way, that they have some choices to make. And it's not necessarily the cheapest option, just like with food. It's not going to be your cheapest option. So we have a mixed bag of listeners. We have the consumers who love the products. They want to know which ones are the best, which ones are on the market, where they can find stuff. They want to know what's happening in other states. Uh A lot of them are in illegal states. So when they hear like, oh man, there's dispensaries in Hawaii. I'm doing my next vacation. They want to hear hear about the pulse on the industry. We also have the budding entrepreneurs, folks who are trying to find their entryway in. They can recognize the trend. They want to be a part of it or not sure how to get in there. And then we have the entrepreneurs who are established. They have brands looking for key relationships and opportunities to be able to expand their businesses. I always ask the question, I ask two questions of my guests. Uh Number one, I want to understand some of the challenges that you have come through to get to where you are with your hemp business, because the challenges that we are facing are unique to our industry and entrepreneurs path to get on the other side or troubleshoot, or even just to be able to humbly say like, I'm still stuck here. I need help, you know, is, is a really powerful thing. So let's just start there. What are some of the challenges that you have faced in getting your beautiful product off the ground and in the hands of the people who need and want it? Well, I think probably you hear this over and over again from a lot of your guests. The major ones are the baking industry, merchant providers, stability on the financial level of being able to really reach consumers and take credit cards and process those. Mm -hmm. That has been a major obstacle every single step of the way over the last four to five years. But we also have a unique challenge being a small scale business in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. one of the most remote island chain in the entire planet, over 2000 miles in either direction. And that has made it a challenge cost-wise. Everything is more expensive, getting bottles here, finding labels, importing what are the things that we can't get locally. That's been a unique challenge that I didn't really fully get the scope of when we were first starting. And so that has been something we've had to really look at and face as a small-scale business in Hawaii, which is always consistently rated as one of the lowest states for doing small-scale business, usually 48th, ranked 48th or 49th out of 50 states. Wow. The small-scale business. So... You know, those are, those are the main challenges. I think that, you know, really building a team that resonates with your values and your passion, your philosophy can be somewhat challenging in the beginning as well, especially in an island isolated location where you don't have the population centers to choose from or draw from. I really was committed to finding people that wanted to work on my team that had the values around health and wellness and we're just looking for a job that really embodied what we wanted to promote as a company. Mm-hmm. So it, that was an extra effort that took time to really build a really solid team. Luckily, I have a fabulous team now and super grateful for the folks that have really shown up to support the mission. I love I do hear those challenges quite a bit. And because I kept hearing these over and over and over again, James and I decided to create a membership based network called the Emerald Circle. Ah. Cool. Take an inspiration from the Emerald Triangle, triangle but yeah. <laughs> so we created the Emerald Circle. The circle is the strongest structure, and we wanted us to be able to have a safe 
place to come in and collaborate and share, you know, opportunities for distribution, manufacturing, you know, stabilizing supply chains, knowing that the people and the contractors that were being brought to the table were pre-vetted, actually creating and cultivating and supporting the positive results that were being made in the community, that they weren't just, you know, overcharging the people in this space, because it's a cash-rich industry, people yeah. always charge a premium for their yeah. services here, of course. whether of course. or not they have experience or numbers yeah. on the board, it's fascinating. Seen it over and over, yeah. Yeah, so folks who have limited resources are, you know, overpaying people who don't have results. And it was just very, very sad to watch. And so we decided to create this private community that business owners like yourself could come into and, and get connected and, and sort of stabilize some of these challenges. So we've created a network of manufacturing, merchant processing, distribution channels, sustainable farmers, all of these different right. folks, so that no matter how big or small, whether you're just starting or, or growing and scaling, you could come in and say, somebody please dry me off. I'm walking in from the rain. I need yeah. help to get yeah. to this next phase. So when we get offline, I'll share with you some, That's yeah, some, some merchant processing and, and some distribution opportunities as Great. well. We really need more products like yours that have the foundation of what can we bring versus what can we take from the industry. And we have multiple channels open up here where we can just plug a product like yours right into. So happy to share those with you offline. I want on the, on the contrary of all of the challenges, you're obviously in a place where you have been able to create and cultivate a business that allows you to serve your community Mm -hmm. provide for your family here. And I understand that food production is a part of that, but what you're doing in the hemp space is also incredibly significant. So share with us on the flip side, what are some of the wins and the, the triumphs, the milestones, the deep breath moments that say, yeah. wow, I can't believe we just did that. Yeah. Those are always good to keep in mind because the challenges seem to always stay at the front of the mind so much more easy. <laughs> You know, the triumphs have been really, as you very well know, the people contacting us and saying how, you know, the hemp extract, the CBD-rich hemp extracts are changing their lives. Having people come up, and, you know, friends and family saying, you know, I've had the best night's sleep I've gotten in the last years after trying the products. And it could just be simple things. I feel less inflammation in my body. But we, we hear the major ones too. And those are the ones that are impactful, you know, MS, cancer, you know, we're not allowed to talk about health claims, but we know that these people are benefiting and hearing those stories directly and seeing how it's changing people's lives for the better really are the stories and the, and the highlights that, that stand out. For me as a farmer, being able to be in a lifestyle where I get to be outside with my plants, with food production, with the cannabis plants every single day, you know, when I walk out in the morning after the sun has risen and the I get to look at the ocean and have the cannabis in the foreground of that, that view. I'm grateful. And that for me is a way that I get to start my day with gratitude that carries on throughout my day and is infused into the products, into the flower, into the cannabis. And that's always one of my highlights of the day is being with the cannabis plants. And I think really forming our team has been such a highlight. I have two incredible business partners, Melinda and Shamir and being able to have them as part of my daily reality is certainly one of my, also one of my daily highlights. So have you heard of Korean natural farming? 
Oh, absolutely. I've, I'm certified as a Korean natural farmer. It's really big in Hawaii. You know, Master Cho comes to Hawaii several times a year. Nice. So I use microorganisms as a part of my foundation of my farming practices. I'm on pure, pure rock on my farm. Wow. So the microorganisms are absolutely essential to the production of my farm. And I'm super grateful for Master Cho and his son, who's developed a system himself that's based on micronutrients and microorganisms. So yeah. I belong to the Hawaii Farmers Union. I mean, everybody should think about supporting the, the Farmers Union. They, it's, uh, there's a national chapter. It's the oldest agriculture organization in the country. They're advocates for regenerative agriculture. They're advocates for hemp. And so, you know, you don't have to be a farmer to support these types of organizations, but what can you do to support? Let's be like, I'm going to post all of this stuff all over. We're going to do a long form blog about this. Great. So I want to know exactly like, what are three ways that people can get involved and start to support the farmers union? So become a member. If you're in a state that has a chapter, join your local chapter, advocate for regenerative agriculture. Not all the states are as active as Hawaii and they're, they're supportive regenerative agriculture. So if you really, really want to support regenerative agriculture, join the Hawaii Farmers Union. And that way, the membership in our state, even if you're not in Hawaii, the numbers show that that people want to see more of this. And that impacts the national organization that really gives us the funds that we need here on the local level to bring in people like Master Cho and others that are doing regenerative practices to educate the farmers and have that spread. You know, Acres USA is another really great national organization that promotes a lot of regenerative practices. They have conferences, they put out books, they have a magazine that's a publication that comes out regularly. Subscribe, be up to date on, on agriculture, or just put your membership money in, allow the science to speak for itself through publications. So those are a couple of ways to support regenerative agriculture. Love it. How yeah. can people get involved with your education? You said that you offer a full spectrum of education opportunities yeah. for people to come over and volunteer. I yeah. mean, I'm just like throwing stuff out there, but how can people get involved and come and check out what you're doing? And is there a bungalow for little old me full of Pakalolo? <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a bungalow. We don't keep it stocked with Pakalolo. <laughs> anywhere pretty much on the farm the cannabis is in the middle of the farm you can see the farm perfect perfect you know so we do internships people they have to commit to at least three months we usually ask for six months so it's it's not a fly-by-night type of decision but if you really want to immerse yourself in a sustainable lifestyle in a community that's you know practicing these types of agriculture practices and re regenerative sustainable practices think about coming to to check us out you can Certainly look us up, honaunaufarm.com, H-O-N-A-U-N-A-U, farm.com. There's a lot of vowels in there. Support our company through purchasing products that are farm to bottle. You can come stay with us. We do have a little kind of guest retreat for vacation rentals. You don't have to be involved in the farm. Come immerse yourself just in the farm energy. We've got little bungalows. We certainly hope you'll come and join us. We also have, you know, little apartments, two bedroom apartments where you can have your own kitchen, cook local food. You can have farm to table meals with us if you'd like. And then we have classes and tours. So those are all ways that you can come get involved. How many people does your space accommodate? Like if I were to come and rent out the spot, how many? Yeah. So if you wanted to, let's say, rent all the spaces, we can accommodate somewhere around 15, 18 at full capacity. So it's an intimate atmosphere. It's not a yeah. big retreat center. It's very intimate. But usually we've got six to eight residents on the farm and anywhere between eight and 10 to 12 guests. 
Wow, that's so incredible. Yeah. I can't wait to come. When I travel, I travel with my film guy and we do cool. the incredible branding and education videos and blast them yeah. all over the place. And it, for us, it's all about raising the consciousness and awareness because if people can't see you and they don't, they can't hear you, they don't know what's happening, right. you know, there, there's no way for them to support you. So it's our job to shine the light and projects like yours, people like you are just so so near and dear to my heart. I mm. want to do what we have built here. It was an accidental hobby turned, you know, incredible mission movement. Yeah. Congratulations um, on that, by the way. Yeah. Thank That's you. Huge. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really incredible, overwhelming at times. And I yeah. feel just like such a deep responsibility to use these, this power and this attention of this captured audience to raise awareness and consciousness of how we are supporting you know, ourselves than creating for the next generation and repairing what has been, you know, destroyed yeah. <laughs> in the wake. So, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. So it would be such a pleasure to be able to come and visit over there and, and see what you guys are up to. And we, we, so our mastermind actually meets twice a year okay. um, for business planning and all of that stuff. And we always look for cool places that we can go that, that yeah. have a thriving industry around it where we can go and, you know, touch and feel and see and experience the process from soil all the way yeah. to sale. So many people are stuck like in the factory right. um, and in the bottling plants and they yeah. don't actually get to see the, the beauty or experience the vibration of the plant in its, in all of its glory. That's we, right. I took for granted that I was, you know, three feet tall next to a 20 foot tall tree. So. Right. Yeah. Most <laughs> so people, yeah. Don't get to have that experience that early. Yeah. I want to know a little bit about the pulse of the cannabis space versus the hemp movement over there. Cannabis legalization dispensaries are popping up. I know the whole culture around cannabis consumption in Hawaii was pretty ceremonial. It was very much, there, there was two sides of it, just like anywhere, I guess, yeah. heavy black market, and then yeah. this very beautiful spirit of exchange yeah. and trade and community commerce. So talk to me a little bit about the quality, because Hawaii is famous for the quality of cannabis. Yeah. I saw a lot of the quality go down once legalization yes. happened in California and in yeah. Colorado alike. Still can't find anything quite like a Mendo grown Kush. No, nope. um, <laughs> there's nothing quite like it. But how is it over there in Hawaii? How is the quality of the product affected now that legalization has come to fruition? Yeah, yeah. So in Hawaii, we still don't have legalization, so it's still just medical. You but know, you still have Hawaii, dispensaries and such, yes? Yeah, they're, they're really still brand new. You know, we had our medical law passed in 2000. It was the first state to pass medical cannabis by a legislature. So it was not a referendum process here in Hawaii. That was in year 2000. It wasn't until 2015 that we got a dispensary law. So that was um, an incredible opportunity really for the industry to model what we could do we could learn from Colorado you know all the states that had already gone to dispensaries mm -hmm. unfortunately Hawaii always wants to learn the hard way and they want to go their own way and I don't really think that we did a very good job with the dispensary system in Hawaii they're all vertically integrated there's no grow licenses there's no mm -hmm. manufacturing licenses each license that was given out two for Big Island two for Maui three for Oahu and one for Kauai all have to be vertically integrated. So there's no incentive for innovation or quality control because essentially they have the market between those eight companies statewide. Mm -hmm. So there's room for improvement for the dispensaries. 
you know, most of the people that had medical license in, in Hawaii prior to the dispensaries still have their license because they want, they got their license to grow their own. So there's still a real, I would say, grassroots movement of people that grow their own cannabis, which I'm a huge proponent of. And that's what I really like about the Hawaii cannabis scene is most people are growers. Most people care about the way it's grown. They care about the in-quality product. But the dispensaries are doing, are doing okay. It took them a long time to come online. We just got our second one in the Big Island just this year. So really, you know, it took three years from legislation passing to get up and running. So it's been very slow. But the quality, I'd say the homegrown quality is incredible. The dispensary quality is pretty good. I haven't been in all of them because they were spread out by islands. I haven't been in the Kauai one or the Maui ones. But they had some hard lessons where they're not allowed to grow outdoors in Hawaii, which was completely nonsense, ridiculous. They have to grow indoors. So most of these greenhouse, are Greenhouse? Can they do like hybrid greenhouse? They can have a transparent roof, which almost none of them do. I know. It's absolutely ludicrous. So I you, am speechless. Right? Right? And we lobbied heavy against that. But the, the law enforcement wanted to have non-transparent walls indoors so that it was secure. There was a lot of fear when this law passed around security and theft. And it really pushed the industry in the wrong direction because we're, first of all, using non-renewable resources mostly to grow the herb indoors. And it's not the same quality as sun growing, especially when we have this amazing Hawaii sun. Oh you my know. God, the environment over there is just yeah. like, there's it's second to none. Yeah, the challenges of our politics here in Hawaii is almost third world. The corruption, the way the, the old boy network works, it's really unfortunate. The hemp industry, it's in its infancy. I don't know if you saw the report that came out last couple weeks ago. Half of the hemp that was grown in Hawaii this past year, which was our first year having legal hemp, was destroyed because of high THC levels. And so, you know, a lot of these growers didn't do their research. The state did not support them with seed that was tested and they brought in mainland varieties, planted them, and they were not adapted to our high amounts of UV at our latitude. We're at 19 degrees latitude and their hemp plants went hot and the state did not have a way to help the, the farmers. The hemp was like, yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I'm in Hawaii. Yes. Produce the oils. <laughs> Oh, I want a little extra resin on my leaves. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So That's we have so unique challenges in the industry here. But, you know, we also have an immense opportunity in the hemp scene. If we can develop a hemp strain that is consistently at legal limits, we have the opportunity to be able to help almost all the other tropical countries. And granted, you have to remember, almost all the tropical countries are what we consider lesser developed Hawaii is one of the only developed island tropical nations, really the kingdom of Hawaii and not a part of the U.S., but that's another story. So we have this opportunity to create a strain that could impact people throughout the tropical world in a positive way if we can really use our industrial resources to create a strain that, that stays stable. I'll talk more about that with you offline because okay. I, I have some connections there who may be able cool. to provide those genetics and... I don't want to speak, if I speak about okay. it publicly and it's not true, yeah. I'll be like, oh, fuck. But, <laughs> but if it well, is let's, true, let's follow up on that one. we'll have a follow-up on that and make All an right. announcement that we are single-handedly solving the kingdom of Hawaii's problems. Yes, that'd <laughs> be like, amazing. 
Man, I, I'm so super passionate about this stuff and mainly selfishly because it changed my, I'm a mother today because of it. I'm yeah. a wife today because of it. I'm a thriving, positive contributor to my community and society because of cannabis and hemp health and my own personal fight against the medical system yeah. for my rights to safe access. And I, on the daily, get to interface with people whose children's lives are being changed or whose parents' lives are being changed or, you know, they, they get to do something a little easier or a little better right. because, because of this thing. And I'm so passionate about it. I'm always just looking to how I can solve solve the next problem. So the, these things are just incredible to hear you speak about with such passion. It's so clearly articulated. It's, it's not so far off in the left wing that, that an average person can't hear the reason ability, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Reasonability right. in, in the things that you are saying and anything that I can do to continue to sh support and shine the light and, and give you a, a portal or platform to speak into, I would just be so honored to be able to do so. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Any final thoughts or words for our community in closing here? Well, just thank you again for the opportunity to, to be with you and to speak about all these things that obviously I'm super excited and passionate about. Please check out all the regenerative agriculture resources I mentioned. Rodell Institute is another great resource that's done a lot of good science behind regenerative agriculture. Support your local farmers, whether it's food or cannabis. Shop local, buy local, do your, you know, your due diligence on products, and you'll make a difference with every dollar you spend. In fact, I believe every dollar you spend is way more powerful than any political vote you have because you're supporting companies and products that are doing the right thing. And so um, try and become a conscious consumer, and certainly in the cannabis industry, you can have a major impact. Where can they find your products? You can find our products at manabotanics.com. Okay, awesome. For those of you who are tuned in to the Hemp Revolution podcast, thank you so much for your time and attention and for the way that you are participating first with your time and attention and then with the way that you are financially contributing to any one of the organizations that we are promoting. This is a place for you to get the truth about cannabis so that you can make empowered, educated decisions about how you want to consciously involve yourself in the movement of cannabis and hemp health. This is truly an opportunity for us to disrupt, single-handedly disrupt one of the biggest industries in the entire world, and that is health care. We believe that you deserve the opportunity to decide how you're going to care for yourself, the people that you love, the conditions you may be suffering from, or, or preserve an otherwise healthy lifestyle. The way that we have been taught is not necessarily the only way to go about loving yourself. If you want more information about how you can join the Green Rush or the Hemp Revolution, Check us out at theemeraldcircle.com for the right relationships, resources, and tools that you need to make a safe and sustainable entry to leave a legacy for your family. If you are a patient looking for information on which products or delivery system is going to be most effective for you, check us out on medicalsecrets.com. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show.
Thanks for listening to another rock star episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Gomez. And just for you, we took notes on this episode along with the links and other resources mentioned inside of today's show. Get them for free right now by going to theemeraldcircle.com. Now, if you want more on this, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen, and you will be automatically entered in to our monthly giveaway where you can get swag bags, all kinds of cool gifts and discounts from our guests, and exclusive offers that are only mentioned right here in the Hemp Revolution podcast. I can't wait for you to share this with your friends. With your help, we've been able to impact millions of people's lives around the world with the truth about hemp and cannabis. And we know that you love us so much that you're going to leave a review and rate us right now on your favorite platform to absorb content just like this. Now, we challenge you to dream big and love the life that you live. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you on our next episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. Ciao for now.